my name's J.P. Watson. Uh, I am a church planner slash pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church Inglewood. Uh, just down the road, we're a new church, a church being birthed out of this church, uh, Deer, Deer Creek Church, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning. I'm delighted to take a look at God's Word uh, with you this morning uh, as well. And some of you might be here, and you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, maybe God's calling me to be a part of starting something new. Um, I would love to talk to you. If that's even an inkling that's on your heart, that God might be calling you to be a part of starting a new expression of His church uh, in the Denver metro area. But let's lay that aside. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in our series uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And just to sort of like get us situated here, if we'll remember, the very beginning of the book of Mark tells us that Mark's purpose for writing his book, for, for writing his gospel, is to tell us about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Last week, uh, Chad covered for us this whole thing where Jesus is interacting with people and interacting with uh, Pharisees, and he expresses to them, my concern above anything and everything else is for your heart. It's a heart matter, this whole gospel thing. Well, today, what we're going to get to take a look at is this kind of unexpectedly beautiful living illustration of embracing that very truth that Jesus has just been expressing here in this interaction that Jesus has with this woman who is from Syria. So with that, let's take a, take a look at God's word, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Maybe some unexpected interaction there to unpack for us this morning. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us understand his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that, that you communicate with us, that you give us your word because you want us to know what it means for us to have a relationship with you. You want us to know that you have given us the word made flesh, your one and only son, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would, uh, you would bring our imaginations alive to see how wonderful, to see how gracious, to see how merciful, to see how beautiful and believable Jesus really and truly is. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way with us this morning. Do whatever you need to do to make Jesus sweeter and sweeter to us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Throughout the course of my life, I've had numerous uh, opportunities and, and honor to build relationships with people. Do we realize that? that? Like how much of an honor and an opportunity it is to build relationships with all kinds of 
of different people. I have been granted that blessing time and time again. I've been granted that blessing with you all. I've been granted that blessing in other parts of my life. One season in my life that I was granted with the blessing of getting to know someone and be a part of someone's life was when I was in college. And when I was in college, during the summers, I worked at what was kind of like a a daycare during the summers. And I got the opportunity to interact with and to interface with all kinds of different children. And some of the children that uh, I got the chance to build a relationship with and be with uh, found themselves with significant disabilities. And there was this one uh, young girl whose name was Katie. And Katie had been diagnosed with um, a very low-functioning autism. Much of Katie's day, she really wished and wanted to just be spent alone by herself doing her things and not to be interfered with. And she really liked it that way. She didn't like to be touched. She didn't, she didn't really like to be talked to all that much, just kind of every once in a while. Well, I'd gone on vacation with my family and had been gone for an entire week. And when I came back to work that following week and I came in the doors, Katie, this young girl who really didn't want to interact with anybody, She ran up to me and she gave me a hug. And it was one of those moments of a simple, unexpected beauty that takes us from the rat race of the day-to-day life and draws us into a bigger story. Draws us into a bigger reality of the life that we live And what we are getting to see here this morning in Mark's passage with Jesus and this Syrophoenician woman is an unexpected, beautiful, simple interaction that shows us how big our God is. And so what I want us to know about this passage this morning that we're looking at is this passage is all about the unexpected beauty of God's grace to us in Jesus. And we're going to get to see that beauty through the lens of this empty-handed mom, and through the lens of a surplus Savior. So, if you're a note-taker, those are our two points this morning. An empty-handed mom and a surplus Savior. Before we dig into that, a little bit of background on what's been going on. Just last week we read, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. The throngs and crowds of people have been coming all around him. And what we find here is that Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he goes into an area called Tyre and Sidon. And what that tells us is that Jesus has actually been in these very heavily populated Israelite areas. And when he goes to Tyre and Sidon, he's actually moving into a more populated non-Israelite area. Oftentimes, what the Bible calls areas where Gentiles live. That's the language that the Bible uses to talk about people who are not the people of Israel. Mark describes this woman that we run into here as Syrophoenician. If we were to go to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 15, Matthew tells us that this woman is a Canaanite woman. Now, if you're here and you've read a little bit more of your Bible, that, that might kind of ring a bell. The Canaanites might ring a bell to you. We see them all throughout the Old Testament. And here, we, we could go into a lot of depth here. There's a long history, and I'm happy to talk to you more about it afterwards if you want to. But suffice it to say, Israelites and Canaanites were kind of like mortal enemies. Sort of uh, like the empire versus the resistance. Or, in my terms, Yankees and Red Sox. 
So all that to say, like, there's no love lost here, okay? All right? Jesus and his disciples leave. They go into this area of Tyre and Sidon, and they know at some level they can expect that they might be entering into kind of hostile territory for them. And that's where we run into this first unexpected part of this passage because we have this empty-handed mother approaching Jesus and his disciples while they're at dinner. Look back with me at verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. This actually is shockingly unexpected for several different cultural reasons and cultural dynamics and contextual things. First of all, this is a woman and she is approaching a large group of men. That within itself in the ancient Near East is unheard of. That doesn't happen. As sad as this is, in the ancient Near East, women were seen as less than men. It certainly wasn't the kind of situation where women would feel free to just approach a group of men. That's the first thing that's shockingly unexpected. The second thing is that this is a Gentile woman and she is approaching an Israelite man. That also incredibly shocking. Again, mortal enemies, empire and resistance here. Third, not only is she Gentile, she's a Canaanite. Like it goes even deeper than that. And then fourth, her daughter has a demon inside of her, an unclean spirit. This would have been, this issue that she brings to Jesus' attention would have been beneath any rabbi in Jesus' day for a Gentile to come and ask a Jewish teacher to do something about her daughter? You see, the original audience receiving this, experiencing this, they would have had a lot of questions about what was going on here. It's certainly something that we see on the disciples' minds. If we, were, if we go to Matthew chapter 15, we see the disciples' response to this woman coming in verse 23. Jesus did not answer her a word, but his disciples, they came and they begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. They say, Jesus, what's going on? Send her away. Get her out of here. She's disrupting things. She's bothering us. But it's interesting. Jesus doesn't grant the disciples request. You see, as unexpected as all of this is, her reason for coming to Jesus and bowing down at his feet and begging him is one of the most basic instincts of any parent, of every single parent in this room. Something is wrong with my kid and I don't have any power to do anything about it. It's one of the most basic instincts that we have as a parent. Desperate empty-handed, approaching him with a whatever-it-takes kind of attitude. Nothing is going to stop this woman from getting to Jesus. Not convention, not rivalry, not breaking social norms. Nothing is going to stop her from getting to him. You ever been in that kind of situation, parents? You ever been in that kind of situation, 
where there's something wrong with your child and you have no power to do anything about it and you would do whatever it takes. A number of years ago, when we were still living in North Carolina, I came home from work one day and, uh, and saw Luke sitting in the recliner in our living room and noticed that, you know, you, as parents, you can kind of tell when your kids are puny and they're not feeling good. You know what I mean? Um, it's just like this instinct that we have. And I could tell he wasn't feeling that great. And I walked over there to him and you could see the flushness in his face and put my hand to his forehead and he was burning up. I mean, he was, his temperature was clearly really, 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 really high. And then I happened to take a look at his neck because he said his neck was hurting. And on this side of his neck, it looked like somebody had stuck a racquetball in there. Uh, and he had, I mean, it was swollen so bad. So... Carrie and I immediately took him to the pediatric ER for the doctors to take a look at him, see what was going on. They were pretty, they were pretty stunned. Like it wasn't something that they had really seen that much before. And his fever was super high, like 103, 104 in that kind of area and everything. And they were like, well, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten this before. Uh, We don't know. Let's give it a couple of days, right? Let's see if the fever goes down. Give him something to make him a little bit comfortable. Well, 24 hours goes by, it's not getting better. 48, 72, the fever's still really high. He's gone back to the doctor numerous times at this point. He's had a multitude of tests run on him, and they cannot figure out what is going on. And we're getting to the point where the doctor is telling us, hey, the next set of tests, there's some pretty heavy sets of tests if things don't get better. If his fever doesn't break, we don't really know what's going on. And I remember in that moment, just having this very real sense of like, whatever, let it be me, not him. Let it be me. I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Jesus. And I found myself in this spot where really deep down, I thought I could take care of my kid better than Jesus could. And I was reminded of how much Jesus loves our children through this song by a guy named Andrew Peterson called, Is He Worthy? And one of the lyrics in that song is, he asked a question, does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? And I found myself listening to that, singing that, trying to believe it, trying so hard to believe it. But it was so hard to believe Really? Does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? Really, does he? Well, in this instance, we get to see an empty-handed mama. She lives out believing that truth. She believes that Jesus, her Messiah, will hold forever those he loves. She is fully trusting She has full faith. She has full belief. She's begging. She's pleading. Whatever it takes. And what's Jesus' response? What's Jesus' response to this? To this mother who is begging and empty-handed. Jesus' response comes a bit unexpected to us. Look back at verse 27. Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here seems like Jesus might be a little bit out of step for Jesus. 
Does he really, I mean, is he, is he calling this woman a dog? Is he being, like, callous and insulting here? I mean, I think at first blush, with our 21st century ears, we kind of naturally hear it this way. I mean, I do when I read it. And believe you me, as you can imagine, commentators have spilt a lot of ink over this passage and over this statement that Jesus makes. And just to give us a, a big overview, most commentators have a lot of agreement about what's going on in this passage, and there's some disagreement about what's going on in this passage. But what every single Bible scholar agrees on is that there is something more than meets the eye in this interaction that Jesus has with this woman. What we see on the surface is actually showing us something much, much deeper. And what it's showing us is a surplus Savior. A surplus Savior. This unexpectedly beautiful interaction that we see here that maybe comes across to us not so much. It really and truly is. Because what's happening here is we are getting to see Jesus' full humanity and his full divinity on display in this moment. If we go to Matthew's account of this interaction that Jesus has, it really fleshes this idea out of Jesus' full humanity and his full divinity. You see, because Matthew paints for us a picture that has a lot of commotion going on. Remember, Jesus and his disciples, they've been in Jerusalem. They've been pressed in by the throngs of the people that are there. They're getting away to Tyre and Sidon. Why? Rest, refueling, recharging, relaxation. They're sitting down at the table to have a meal and to rest together. And then out of nowhere comes this Canaanite mother making a plea. And Matthew's language that he uses around this story conveys to us that this was a significant disruption. It was no small thing. Actually, it was a very, very loud thing. This begging is like a crying out. And what happens is, is she comes and then the disciples go back at her. And then they start yelling and crying out. And all of a sudden, you got this sort of like commotion and melee happening She's asking for one thing. The disciples are asking for another. And like any other person, Jesus in that moment silently is like, just give me a second. Let me get my, my bearings here a little bit. Let me get my relational bearings. Can you identify with that? Have you ever been in that kind of situation where it's just like commotion all over the place and you're just like, man, I get, come on. Let me have a second here. And then, almost like underneath his breath, Jesus not directing this comment at the woman specifically, not directing it at the disciples specifically says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. One commentator says that this passage in Mark 7 and in Matthew chapter 15 is actually a precursor to what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross. That Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you'll remember, he prays to his father, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way than what I'm about to have to go and do, please let it be. 
but not my will, yours. You see, Jesus knows exactly what he's come to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he also knows what it will take. In Mark 7 and Matthew 15, Jesus knows that his work on the cross is for all kinds of people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He's having this moment. He's only been interacting with the people of Israel. And he says, I know that my work is not just for them, but is now the time? Is now the time that the good news is supposed to go forth and extend to the Gentiles? And Jesus' next statement communicates that the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And maybe it doesn't seem like that. It's kind of unexpected. But in Jesus' response, boy, he is, he is giving an invitation to this Syrophoenician woman. Because unlike how every other Israelite would have referred to Gentiles, which they would have referred to them as Stray dogs, street dogs, nothing but the kinds of dogs that you kick out of your way. No, Jesus uses a distinctly different language here. He refers to like that of a family pet, of something that belongs in the house, not outside of the house. Jesus is recognizing, look, I know that you have your thing's set up here, but I'm coming in and I'm changing the game. My invitation is that you belong in the house, not outside, but inside. Not on the street, but offering an invitation to this empty-handed Canaanite mom. And what does she do? She does not hesitate. Not one bit. Verse 28, she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I know, Jesus, I know that your work is for the children of Israel, but it's also for me too. It's for me as well. I belong in the house. I know I'll eat the crumbs from your table because those aren't scraps. Those are overflowing morsels of your grace. And I'm here for it all day, every day. Keep giving it to me, Jesus. It's a response of profound belief, profound faith. This unexpected, beautiful interaction. And Jesus responds, your daughter's well. It's almost as if Jesus feels truly and genuinely seen for who he is for the first time outside of the context of the Messiah who comes out of Israel and into the cosmic surplus savior that he really and truly is. And it begins right here, right at this table, with this woman who comes to him, who comes to him and calls him my Lord, son of David. Remarkably, unexpectedly beautiful interaction displaying the God-man himself who is the surplus savior and also needs a second to get his bearings and is delighted when he's seen for who he really and truly is. This mom, desperate, 
full of genuine faith. She says, Jesus, your grace, it abounds. It overflows. And Jesus says, you're right. It does. My grace is enough to rid your daughter from this unclean spirit, from these demonic forces. But my grace isn't just skin and body deep. My grace is a grace that heals the whole person. It's a grace that's so big that it will overcome the power of evil and demonic forces itself and unexpectedly defeat death and evil by dying. My surplus grace is so big it goes on forever. The crumbs of grace... Those are the crumbs that keep replenishing. They keep encouraging. They keep taking death and demonic forces and turning it into life. Incredible, beautiful, unexpected interaction showing us God's grace to us in Jesus. And that means something for us here this morning too. It means something for us like right here and right now. Where are the crumbs of Jesus' grace meeting you? Another way to ask that is, where are you empty-handed? What are you desperate to lay at Jesus' feet this morning? What in your life? It could be a whole host of things. Maybe some of you are here and you pray so hard for your adult children who are not in the church anymore. You laying that at Jesus' feet? Maybe you're here this morning and you want nothing more than to just be popular and cool at school. Are you laying that at Jesus' feet? Moms, dads, are we laying our children at Jesus' feet? For me, I'll tell you one thing that that I'm desperate to lay at Jesus' feet, but most of the time I'm hanging on to it. And that's control. I'm sure this mom dealt with control. (laughs) I'm sure she wished that she had control over her life and her situation. And look, every single one of us does. If you think that you don't have control issues, you're fooling yourself. Every single one of us does. How many of us spend our life reaching out for control? Control of relationships, of time, of resources, of outcomes. How many nights a week do you lay awake in bed unable to lay stuff at Jesus' feet, worrying about control? For me, it's my kids' future. It's this new church. What in the world's gonna happen with this? Who's crazy enough to do that? It's health, long-term health. It's inflation. Goodness gracious, you bought eggs lately? (laughs) All kinds of stuff. In this passage, what it does is it invites us into this unexpected, beautiful reality that we don't have the control that we think that we have. But we have something so much better. What we have is a surplus Savior whose grace is with us in and through anything and everything. Do we see ourselves as empty-handed as we really and truly are? Or have we just become okay with pretending that we actually have everything under control and have it all together? 
I mean, even this morning, are, are, you, are you willing to pray that God would show you those areas in your life? Are you willing to open yourself up to that? God, show me where I'm empty-handed. Show me where I'm desperate. desperate. Bring me to the feet of Jesus to lay it down. That's one takeaway for us from this passage. Another is this. It's another question that I have for you. Is where are you looking for unexpected beauty? Where are you looking for unexpected beauty? This woman who was laying everything in her life at Jesus' feet. In some sense, that was unexpectedly beautiful for him. Certainly for her. Are we on the lookout for those simple interactions of unexpected beauty that pull us into a bigger story of God's grace? Are you hopeful? Are you optimistic about things because God's grace will prevail? Or do you find yourself being more consistently dwelling on what's wrong with everything? You know, one of the things that I see more broadly speaking in the church in America is this kind of attitude that is pretty down. The world we're living in is going to hell in a handbasket. And we're just waiting for the attacks to come our way. And so we take on this sense of skepticism about everything out there. And we forget that that same stuff exists in our own hearts. Are you optimistic or do you find yourself being more consistently pessimistic about what's going on? If I could this morning gently push us into grace being the bigger and truer story of our world. Everything is moving toward Jesus. We have no reason not to be excited about that. We have no reason not to be excited about the reality that the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the same truth today as it was 2,000 plus years ago. And it changes lives. It changes hearts. It changes our entire trajectories just in the same way that it did for this woman. Just in the same way that it did for her daughter. Jesus wins, guys. We get to live like that. We get to walk out these doors knowing that that is true, carrying that with us. We get to do that. But let's get real practical here for a second. All right, let's bring this down, down to, to the ground level here. Are you looking for unexpected beauty? Do you cherish the smile of little children? Do you appreciate the slightly tight embrace of a friend? Does that stop you in your tracks? Does that pull you into a bigger story of God's grace? Do you take in the honor of being with another human being and them being completely open with you? Do you take in and cherish the privilege to be completely open with others? Are you looking for unexpected beauty in the most simple of things in life? 
When your teenage daughter unexpectedly lays her head on your shoulder at the end of a long week, do you hold that unexpected beauty in your heart? Do you see how abundant the crumbs of God's grace truly are, really are? Are we letting ourselves be pulled into a bigger story of God's grace through unexpected beauty that he is at work at in this world? This passage is all about the unexpected beauty of God's grace to us in Jesus. And here's what is the most unexpected beauty that we see in this passage. You see this, mom? She comes to Jesus, desperate, empty-handed, wants her daughter to be healed, willing to do whatever it takes for my child. Nothing will stop me. And what's most unexpected in this passage is that that is exactly how Jesus thinks about her and you and me. Whatever it takes to save my people. Nothing will stop me. And his heavenly father agreed. Whatever it takes, even my one and only son, even my one and only son, nothing is going to stop me. And Jesus willingly and with joy in his heart said, nothing will stop me. Not for this mom, not for you, not for me, not for her daughter. And remember, Jesus even prayed, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please let it be. And the father said, no, son, this is the only way. And Jesus, with a resounding response to his father, said, not even crucifixion, not even becoming the sin of the world will stop me from saving my people. We can't leave here this morning without seeing that most unexpected beauty in this passage. And that's exactly what brings us to this table that's right here in front of us this morning, where we get to taste and see the abundance of the crumbs of Jesus' grace to us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink of it, all of you. As often as we come to this table and we take this bread and we take this cup, what we are getting to do is to proclaim the Lord Jesus' death until he comes again. To proclaim that in Jesus it is finished. We get to come and we get to see this picture of God's grace to us. This picture of his, I'll do whatever it takes. Nothing will stop me. Not even the cross. For my people, exchanging his life for yours, that we would have life. And it's also a promise that those crumbs of grace keep falling off the table 
and we keep getting to get them and eat them and be encouraged and replenished and be grown by God's grace to lay more and more and more of our lives at Jesus' feet with each passing day. If you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, Jesus, I'm laying it at your feet. I need you. I'm begging. If that's you this morning, if you're here and that is your confession, that is, that, that is your profession that you really and truly believe that in Jesus it is finished and that Jesus' work is for you, then this table is for you. Come, eat and drink and remember. Be replenished, be refreshed, be encouraged. But if you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that that's what you believe, you, you wouldn't say that you believe that Jesus has come and he's given himself for your sin, for the forgiveness of your sins and to have life in him, then we wouldn't want you to partake of something that's not true of what you actually believe. And so we would ask you that instead of taking this bread and taking this cup, that you would let these elements pass you by. You're welcome to come up and to pass by them. You're welcome to stay in your seats, whatever makes you feel most comfortable. But what we would encourage you to do is we would encourage you to pray, to consider even this story this morning, to consider Jesus's love for you, to consider God's grace to you, to consider that Jesus said, I will stop at nothing for you and give your life to him. And then come find one of us and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Anybody that's got a name tag on, go for it. But I'm gonna ask the, the folks that are helping us serve this morning if they'll come up and uh, as they're coming up, I'll pray for us. And then after praying for us, uh, I'll give us a little bit of in instruction on coming forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us this meal. Uh, a tangible gospel that we get to taste, that we get to take in, that we get to touch, that we get to smell, that we get to be reminded of your unexpected beauty to us and your grace and giving us your one and only son, Jesus. Would you use it to grow us, to replenish us, to refuel us, to recharge us, to encourage us? All of these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.